0: Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the leadership development podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. All right, I have the wonderful opportunity to have Dr. TJ Vary and Dr. Joseph Jones with me this evening. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being on the Aspire podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank
1: you. Our pleasure.
0: And gentlemen, before we begin into some really important topics on the evolution of leadership and some of the challenges our leaders are facing today, I would love to hear about your leadership journey. And to start, I'm going to ask you, TJ, to share a little bit how you got into leadership.
2: Sure thing, man. My um, leadership journey, I meandered a little bit, but I'll give you my educational leadership journey and then a little bit of how I, um, I supplemented that with some other things. I was a teacher in a high school, high school English teacher. I loved that job saw a real need for, for leading and helping out in the school. So I volunteered for just about everything I could do from professional development to, you know, different positions in the, in the school, Um, became a department chair, actually worked for Joe in one of the largest uh, high schools, vocational high schools in the state Uh, as a department chair there Um, became an, an assistant principal at a middle school. I always tell people I wanted to be a high school principal, a curriculum director, and a superintendent. I didn't, I haven't done any of that. <laughs> I became a middle school assistant principal, fell in love with the middle level, became a middle school principal. I'm in a growing district. We grow at a clip of about 600 kids a year, and we grew to a second assistant super, and I took that role on about seven years ago. And so I'm, I'm an assistant superintendent. I oversee district operations as well as the secondary schools the high schools and middle schools are seven of them I will say that I had a stint in management at restaurants before I became an educator for about four or five years that ended with me being at TGI Friday's corporate training managers in Wisconsin which was a whole heck of a lot of fun and I learned a lot of leadership lessons from training and the hard way so
0: here I am man nice to be on the show Well, that's awesome. I love your story, especially the fact that you came into leadership in a a different route. I think that's important for all of our listeners to hear. What about you, Joe? What about your leadership journey? Yeah,
1: I think many individuals listening, Josh will resonate. I have more of a traditional path. I became a teacher. And then from there, like many others, I had someone who I dearly respected tap me on the shoulder and said, hey, I think you should go into administration. What I will say is interesting is I, I taught world history prior to becoming an administrator and in one of my classes we were reading things like the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. We actually read that or segments of it with one of my classes and we looked at leadership as we studied history. So if we were studying somebody like Napoleon, I was trying to weigh that against what someone like John Maxwell in the 21st century, 20th century at the time, was writing about. And so I started there. I started becoming probably a pupil of leadership very early on. I was impressed with a lot of people throughout history that I studied and really enjoyed reading about. And then as time moved on, I became an administrator, which then I started taking responsibility for of my own development, my own leadership. From the assistant principalship, I became a principal, then a director of assessment and accountability, which was a unique role I served in for several years and kind of off of my normal wheelhouse. I'm good in front of a crowd. I'm really good with teachers. I'm good with kids. You know, that's where I found my niche as a principal. And I, I pride myself in empowering others. The data side of the world, the accountability side of things, I think, really refines some skills I needed to help me become a better superintendent. So now I would like to think I marry both of those worlds in my new role, where I can get analytical, I can look for hard facts to help us drive forward, but then not lose that human element. So in a nutshell, that was my journey.
0: And both you have risen to the higher ranks, and I, I know that you have more of a, a global view of things over your districts, and I know that within the last couple of years, education has drastically changed for obvious reasons, and I know that as far as the leadership role goes, that's evolving quite a bit, so I'm just curious on some of the skills that are needed that you feel are really, really important for our aspiring and current leaders as they navigate through these new waters of, of education.
2: Well, Joshua, you know what, I was thinking as you were talking, we just recently wrote a a blog post on our site, schoolhouse302.com, and it's called Growing Through the Grind, Five Strategies for Staying Focused in a Chaotic Environment for Principal Leaders. And Hmm. what inspired us to write that is what you're talking about, is that, you you know, there's kind of three philosophies. I think it's, let's get through this. It's kind of very passive. Let's go through this which means we're going to be active and let's grow through this. And that's where we landed on the on the blog because there's an incredible opportunity when things are chaotic, but you have to be accepting of the fact that you're a learner and we are going to grow if we stretch um, and we reimagine the way things are. We can't, in times like this, do things the way we've always done them. We just we just can't. So, I would say one thing is to uh, be adaptable. I mean that that's always been a thing in leadership, right? Like yeah. you want to be adaptable, but right now, more than more than ever, um, leaders need need to adapt and they need to learn to grow in the position they are, so that they can serve the people who they need to serve in a different way than they were doing. Um, before and even during quarantine.
0: What about you, Joe? What do you think as far as some qualities that our leaders need to make sure that they're providing for their staff and for their district?
1: Thank you. One thing that TJ and I really have discovered, a lot of the essential best practices that we will find in a classroom, we also can apply to leadership. So in... In our Building a Winning Team book, we use, uh, we acknowledge the the thought of a BDA, the before, during, and after reading strategies, how effective that is in interviewing, hiring, and it applies. And so now TJ and I, as instructional leaders, have been talking a lot about student discourse and interaction and exchange between teachers and students. Well, we're also now applying that to administrators and leaders. Leaders have to talk less right now and listen more. And the discourse needs to be heard from the field. What our teachers experiencing? You know, SEL right now is not just for students. I've heard this time and time again in my own district. And I think there needs to be a sensitivity among administrators to really protect the space in which is most important, which is the classroom. So TJ and I will talk about getting in the classrooms, doing walkthroughs, you know, giving feedback. You know, that, that's really something that we harped on a couple of years ago. Now I'm encouraging folks, yeah, I want you to be as active in the classroom, but I want you to listen, become an ethnographer, you know, don't worry about just improving instructional performance right now. I want you to sit back and observe, not observing from an evaluative lens of what's going great or what's not going great from instructional side of things. I want you to hear. What's being said? Are our kids sharing freely? Are they hurting? Are they operating in a secure environment? Where are our teachers right now? How are they operating? How are they feeling? We liken every day now in a school kind of to two days. People are exhausted at the end of the day. And I think a lot of that's because of just uncertainty. Uncertainty wears on individuals. So TJ and I have really been focused on, okay, how can leaders sit back, become better listeners, ask better questions, hear truly what's going on, and then respond to what exactly TJ described, you know, then we can start moving forward. But if you lose people before you even have them right now, all you're going to do is frustrate, people and we we see it every day. So I would say as a leader right now, listening has always been critical. I would say right now, this is a skill that you have to develop. And listen, I'm a talker, I'm a prof- I consider myself a professional talker. So it doesn't come easy to me. You know, I will write on the top of my note page sometimes, shut up and ask questions <laughs> to direct me on, hey, you know, you're talking too much, dude. Like, listen to people here, l- hear what's being said and be genuinely interested in them.
0: So TJ, Joe just brought up your all's book, Building a Winning Team. And for those who may not have read the book yet, will you just kind of give a, a quick synopsis of, of the book?
2: Yeah, sure. So what Joe talked about was that BDA. um, We broke out. We actually wrote an article, and the article was picked up by by a publisher in Roman and Littlefield. Asked us to write the book, and it turned into two. So building a winning team is the B um, uh, and the D, the before and the during, and so it's about really culture. Um, In a school, I would say all our books are about culture if we boil them down, Mm -hmm. but this is specific to hiring and retaining people. And we do that first by having a killer reputation. So that's the before strategy is like telling the story of the school, living the culture from within, making sure the vision is vivid, making sure people are living out their core values and that the whole thing is rocking. We tend to think about a vacancy when it comes open. But we argue in that book that a vacancy... You're not ready for that vacancy until the culture is ready and the culture is killing it. And the reputation on the outside of the school is, is pumping in the community, right? So then the, the dooring is really when the vacancy comes open. And we we make some arguments there about having the archetype of the position and the archetype of the person, two different archetypes. When you're getting ready to hire, we give very, very granular and specific strategies about bringing people on. That's why we titled the book Building a Winning Team. And then the after is retention, is keeping people on the team who, who deserve to be there. Um, and what what Roman and Littlefield gave us some awesome advice and said that retention, which we entitled ret- retention for a change, that's we're going to make that a second book instead of putting the whole BDA in one publication. So that's kind of, I think, it in a nutshell. I don't know if Joe wants to add anything to that.
1: I just would reiterate that what we find working in classrooms, we've done a nice job of extrapolating that into leadership and test it, and it works. Mm. You know, like the BDA, that's something we, you know, just give a shout out, Gerald Duffy is where I really started digging into like active reading, annotating, and and us as a school going down this road. Um, And TJ was really the brainchild originally of saying, hey, Joe, I I think this will work when we start thinking of everything from a 360 degree view. And rather than trying to learn some business concept, which I'm sure there's out there, and there's a lot of concepts we really like, this works within the world of education and using the vernacular people are, are used to tends to allow them to adopt the strategies very easily. So when you start talking BDA, it resonates
0: with people. Well, and you brought up retention, and obviously right now there's a lot of people that are stressed. They're feeling the added pressure from the state, from the district to do many things to catch students up. Um, obviously, the the term learning loss is being thrown around quite a bit in the world of education. So I know that a lot of folks have either decided to retire or they just are changing their profession altogether. So I was curious on What you gentlemen think would be a good tactic or uh, some strategies for our leaders to make sure that they're building a culture to retain their current teachers, to make sure that they're not losing a bunch of staff members during this difficult time? Yeah, Josh, was a
1: phenomenal question because it's very real. And I think the pain, what people are feeling is real. I think the uncertainty is real. And it's not just learning loss. I mean, what we've experienced too is a lot of students have to reacclimate yeah. to what it means to like walk down a hall. It, it, it's amazing as, you know, just even little guys who, you know, have never been in a classroom. And then suddenly they're expected to walk down a hall. Yeah, they're in first grade or second grade now, but they've never walked down a hall before. So I think there's some odd things that we just may not have predicted to the extent we're experiencing them. So I think that's something that needs to be acknowledged. I think allowing teachers the ability to identify some of the pain points or some of the issues and not be afraid to like literally label them. A technique that TJ and I use when we're working with organizations is having them identify on sheets of paper, write it out in a marker and literally put it on a piece of paper, put it on a table. This is an issue we're facing. Sometimes we got to get it out of our head and onto the table. So that's step one, give teachers time to really start identifying the issues. Now, this should help with venting, but it needs to be productive. Venting and walking away and not having a solution, we don't have time for it. So it should always be under the umbrella that we're working towards something. So if our students need to acclimate to the classroom longer and going down halls dealing with some of the learning loss all right so how do we handle that the second thing and this is something we're struggling with I would I would not want listeners to think that we're experts at this we're practitioners. Who are wading through the water and we're learning as we're going. I think what helps TJ and I is we're just very brutally candid with one another. We don't pull punches and we don't hold back and we say, listen, I I, I have people feeling this, all confidential. We're not sharing names, we're not, the, but the emotions, the realities, we are willing to talk about things that a lot of people simply aren't willing to discuss. So the other thing that I've come to acknowledge here teachers just need time. They just need time. It's not going to be frivolous. And even if some of that time is just decompressing, fine, let them have it. So we've instituted, you know, we've changed our calendar, our school year calendar twice this school year already. That's unheard of, you know, and it's a little, I have to say, it takes a little courage because the board doesn't sit back and say, okay, we'll just change this. They have questions like, Joe, why are we discussing this in October? Why didn't you think of this in June? You know, now I'm very fortunate. TJ's fortunate. We work with very supportive boards and in a supportive state altogether. But one thing we've adjusted is time. We've implemented a couple days throughout the year to let teachers work. We've also instituted 1 p.m. dismissals to give them just time to work with one another. So I would say those are the two things. Allow teachers to come together, discuss real issues, put it out there, and really try to solve them because they got to live with them in the classroom. And then two, as much as possible, give teachers time. And you're starting to see this pop up across the nation as well. I've seen this in different states, different districts, you know, giving mental health days or doing other things to just provide
0: time for their teachers. TJ, I want you to have an opportunity to, because I know, you know, you probably have a lot of things that you've tried out, but what are some things that you've been doing to help retain the talent within your district?
2: Sure thing. So I do a lot of coaching with principals. Joe and I do that all all, all over the place. And Mm -hmm. one thing is what Joe's talking about is to do an inventory. This is a leadership strategy, but you would certainly want to ask a leadership team, ask teachers in the school. What is it that's taken so much time? And what are we doing that puts pressure on teachers' time? And then can we scale that back? Is it effective? If we have a professional development day, do we need to use the whole day? Can we just use a couple hours to get through? I know there's stuff that we're implementing that we can't just pull back on or else it's going to be worse, right? If we have a new curriculum, you can't just stop training teachers on it because then they'll be ill-prepared. But can we take a six hour or eight hour training that we're gonna do in a day? Can we pair that back to three or four and give the rest of the day back to them? do what they need can we plan what we would typically have a pep rally or a field day can we plan some of those kids do need that built into the school day and can we leave the teachers out of it let them stay inside let them work in their rooms and let's use support staff can we think about our support staff and other folks who aren't tied to classroom instruction differently in terms of their day do they really need to be here that early in the morning, that late in the afternoon, can they have blocks of time that look different than they used to in the past? We just need to support different ways of thinking about time that are new. We didn't all, we we thought of everybody the same way in the same blocks of time in the same type of PD, and that I mean that just has to go um, out the window. And the one thing I will add to what Joe was saying, we can't stop going to the most important spaces in our school, which is the classroom. That can't come off our plate because that's the main thing. And folks, the main thing still has to be the main thing. So we do have to go to those most important spaces, which is the classroom. But when we're there, I want to reinforce what Joe said. We can listen. We can also praise. Joshua, well, we will include a sample of a praise model. Um, that you can link on your site. It's right out of the book, but we have a PDF. Nice. And it helps people think about the way they're praising to do it more effectively. 70, in our research, we found that 70% of people in organizations don't feel that they get the right praise and celebration for the work that they do. But 70% of leaders think they go around praising people. So those statistics don't match up. No. And what it means isn't that the leader's not doing it. It just means they're not doing it well. And so we have a model for that. You can share it with your listeners. Um, but yeah, we need to get better at praising and lifting and making people understand that they're doing really important work and we need them. We need them with us on the team.
0: This podcast is a
2: proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash Now let's get back to the episode.
0: Well, I'm going to shift gears, but also praise the two of you because you have an amazing podcast that you have created called The Schoolhouse 302. And you are practitioners and you are providing a lot of wisdom and insight to your listeners. And so I would love to hear about your journey as far as the podcast and where that concept came from.
1: Yeah, I think early on, you know, T.J. and I really, as student of leadership first, we're just really interested, Joshua, in, in hearing from others. We also wanted to diversify our message. T.J. and I both love to write. I think that's what we enjoy most is the content creation, but listening to other people, you know, really getting primary resources from individuals, talking to them, being able to ask questions. I think that's the genesis of it, really just a genuine interest in leadership. And we interview a lot of non-educators so we believe in divergent thinking, we believe in trying to take the business philosophy and a lot of the principles in business and apply them in education. We don't want to exactly replicate it because it's different, right? And it just is different. However, there's a lot of things in industry and in organizations that we can learn from, especially from leaders, CEOs, from systems thinking to understand bottom line product development, you know? And so th- I think that was one thing early on we truly enjoyed it. And I think we've actually gotten a lot better. <laughs> I mean, some of our early podcasts were God off. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I, I totally understand that. but <laughs> It's painful to listen to some of my early stuff too. TJ, what, what was that experience for you as far as becoming a podcaster? And what are the benefits that you both have seen through that project?
2: Sure. So I, I love podcasts. Not just the art of designing them and, and doing them, but listening to them. I'm just love uh, the podcast app that I use and just um downloading the recent podcasts. We listen to to Danny Bauer and yes. and um we listen to to Tim Ferris and others. I love Seth Godin's work. Um and so to be able to do it and to contribute to a body of, of knowledge and sharing, I think it's just a, it's a gift. Um, so I get a lot as much from it as, as we hear from leaders get from our podcast. Um, but just to be able to, you know, the guests that we've had on, on, on our shows, we have a, our one thing series and also a focus ed podcast. Um, they've been generous with their time. And we hear from people all the time where they're putting practical tips into place. You know, our tagline is getting to simple so you can lead better and grow faster. And both of our podcasts, the questions that we formulate and the things that we ask, is about uh, curating information, synthesizing it down to its simple form, and communicating in a way that leaders can put can take action, put it into place in in their in their school. And we do try to blend business and education concepts um yeah it's it's been a it's been a joy and we hope to be able to continue to uh, contribute
0: well you guys are creating amazing content and for anyone that hasn't listened yet uh, make sure you go into the show notes there's gonna be a link there um, for their podcast so definitely recommend that and gentlemen i'm gonna have one last question that i love asking all of my guests and i'll i'll let each of you answer this but for our aspiring and current leaders if there was one thing they could do tomorrow or next week what would be something that would enhance their leadership journey?
2: Joe, so I can go first on this one. I, sure. I something Joe said earlier in the show, and I think about this a lot. In fact, I, I taught a class tonight and it was a concept that I was that I was talking about in this this doctoral course. We have to take ownership of our own learning. Somehow, professionally, like whether you're a teacher or a leader, somehow this concept of like we're going to be professionally developed and it's going to happen on certain days yeah. or like the district owes me something like even as an assistant soup like i get you know i get professionally developed but that's not even scratching the surface of me developing myself as a human and what i can learn to contribute if you want to know about grading get a stack of books and read them all. If you want to know about SEL, Joe brought it up. It's huge. There's tons of literature, podcast, galore out there. And we just need to dive deep, deeper and deeper into these concepts so that we can um, add value in our schools through our knowledge and expertise. And I'll say it one more time, just the concept of curating, synthesizing, and communicating that comes from things like this show and things like podcast that you can listen to. That's what we need to do for our people. And we only do that when we become some kind of super learner. And
0: we all have that capability. We just need to relinquish it. Well said, TJ. Couldn't agree more. What about you, Joe? I'm going to give you two things. I was going to say, if you need to put a (laughs) bonus one in there, you go ahead, Joe. I'm going to give you two things.
1: Um, The first is you need to have a mentor. I don't know if people recognize this, the importance of having a mentor, and this doesn't have to be just professional. You know, a lot of what we deal with in this business, because we're dealing with people all the time, the human element, I think it weighs on your emotions. You know, being an educator can be a huge grind. We go in education because we care for people. We want to develop students ultimately for a better society. I would say 99% of educators believe that. The problem is when you go into leadership positions, you no longer are dealing a lot with kids. You're trying to open doors, create connections, mold opportunities for kids. But the direct relationship, you know, when I was early on in my teaching career, You know, I'd go into the gym, I'd bench press with kids. It was a lot of fun. I don't do that anymore. So I think as you like develop as a leader, one of the one things you need to understand is there are people that have traveled this journey before you and you can learn a lot from them. It doesn't mean to emulate it. It doesn't mean you got to replicate them, but it does mean you can learn from them. So I would get a mentor, a model, someone that you can have deep conversations with, with us. I don't know if TJ or I consider one or the other mentor mentee. Yeah. I mean, I have been in a, uh, the privilege of hiring TJ early on, but that was a privilege at this point. It's far more like iron sharpens iron, but I, Don't want people to lose sight that we do this because it benefits the two of us selfishly more than anything else. It makes us better leaders. So that's important. The second thing is, I think people sit on the dock too long. There's a great quote by Larry Eisenberg, and it basically says that the smallest deed is better than the grandest intention. Do something. Mm -hmm. Just do it. Like, I, I don't know how else to say it. You sit in these meetings People talk a great game. Just get started. Just do it. You want to start building a culture in your school? Go around and say hi to people. You want students to improve and start learning more? Sit at lunch with them and ask them how they're doing. Like, this doesn't mean you got to set up a tutoring service. Make sure they're fed. Make sure they're eating. Make sure that at home things are going okay. Just do it. You know, be human first. Go out. Touch lives, but that smallest deed is always better than the greatest intention. So get yourself a mentor, and you know what? Start acting. Quit talking. Start acting.
0: Great advice, gentlemen, and for my listeners, if you haven't had a chance to connect with these two amazing educators and leaders, you need to make sure you do that. But before we go, TJ, how can they connect with you on social media?
2: Or sure, very simple, my name at TJVARI on Twitter. You'll find me there all day, every day. I love it. I get a lot from it. If you're not on Twitter, get on Twitter and you can find us, you can find us both there.
0: What about you, Joe? How can they connect with you on social media?
2: At soup S U P T
1: short for superintendent at soup underscore Jones, J O N E S. Um, Yeah, Joseph Jones is an incredibly common name. So a quick Twitter search or Google search, you probably won't find me. So at Sue underscore Jones. And just to echo what TJ said, you know, the beauty of Twitter is it has become a learning space for so many educators. So yeah, definitely connect with us. Um, We like to learn from anyone and everyone we can.
0: Oh, definitely. I would echo everything that these guys have been saying as far as twitter and uh, i've made most of my connections with this podcast or that that application but then also just learning in general with the twitter chats and and some of the uh, amazing content that's on that application so wonderful dr joseph jones and dr tj very make sure that you're doing a couple things here grabbing their books checking out their podcasts, and connecting with them on social media again gentlemen it has been a true honor to speak with you this evening thank you so much for being on the aspire podcast
2: Thank you Josh for the honors ours